Hey guys, I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that Surewinder is still selling amazing products. Some of you guys have been dragging your feet for whatever reason. If your shoulder hurts, do not waste time. Pull the trigger. I just bought uh, four or five of them and uh, we had two guys out. You know how much it cost me to pay for two guys being out with bad shoulders? We just pulled the trigger and we said, listen, everybody's going to have one on a truck. It's mandatory. You got to use it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait till your guys go down. It's going to cost you more. Buy a Sherwinder. What's up, guys? Ryan with Torch Talk Podcast. Tamara, quick on the button today. Again, she's just crushing it with the record. Three for three. What's going on? Three for three. <laughs> I, I, we got to, like, maybe it's a system and process thing. I think it's just a... I think it's just a me being slow thing. And you're supposed to be a shooter. I know. Are you slow on the trigger on a gun? I know, actually. My draw is very quick. It's under a second. It's like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 from a oh, perk. you would know that. Yeah, well, you know. Jesse, do you know your draw number? I can't say that I do. <laughs> and I'm impressed that you're a shooter. I didn't, I didn't yeah. take you for a shooter. Oh, for sure. Dude, Big she's time. like a down south <laughs> Texas girl, bro. Like, you run up in her house, you're leaving there holy. And I ain't talking about the Jesus kind. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of Jesse, uh, we got Jesse on the podcast today. Jesse's part of GDU. Um, he owns a door company. He also, also, also is a serial entrepreneur, which is one of the reasons why I love him so much. He's one of those guys that, like, you, if you watch him, he can teach anybody anything. Like, um, you know, nobody's ever arrived. But I love having conversation with Jesse because he's always thinking of ways to, like, make things better and grow things. And so, like, he and I just feed off of each other a little bit. Uh, he got into garage doors, started doing garage floors. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, you got into garage cabinet. So you're trying to own the whole garage. And then you're like, you know what? Let's own the tools that go in the toolboxes in the garage. <laughs> and you started like a hardware store, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, to be clear, I didn't start the hardware store. It was something that was already in place. And that's particularly why I was interested in the business, because a lot of the systems and processes were already in place. And we essentially bought it at cost of what was an inventory. So it was just something that I couldn't turn down. Yeah, can't turn that down. That's a good move. So, uh, well, congratulations on all your success. <laughs> but uh, not many people understand what it's like running multiple businesses. How does it feel? It's, it's busy, man. I mean, the one benefit I have is they're about two miles apart. So it's a quick drive. If I got to run from one place to the other, um, it's not a huge deal. I can't imagine, like Josh Yeager, he's running a business in oh, Florida, Chicago, and he's running one in Florida. I mean, so come on, man. I don't know how, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, so it's, it's fun. It's super exciting. Um, got a lot on my plate, but I seem, I seem to be unhappy if I don't. So it's good. <laughs> Who you telling, bro? <laughs> I like regret it and complain about it 
and then things will like settle out and I'll be like, I'll have free time. And then I commit to something really big and then I like regret it, do it. You know. It's a cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah. I like punishing myself, I guess. It's kind of like an addiction. I tell people I'm addicted to, I'm addicted to starting things. Yeah. Yeah. Problem. I need to start like a serial entrepreneur AA class. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. One of my problems is I like to, if you go to my house, you'll see, I like to get things about 90 to 95% complete. And then, and then start completely leave it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife loves that. Yeah. That was so pretty sweet. Every day it's like, are you going to finish that? Are you going to finish that? I'm like, well, I just started something else, so sorry, I can't. I'm in the middle of that right now. (laughs) So, when did you start your door company? Started Value Garage Door Service in March of 2012. And you're located where? Battleground, Washington, which is about 20 minutes from Portland, Oregon. So, we're pretty close to the river there. And I heard umbrellas are a sin. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. One of the rainiest places in the country, you will not see an umbrella walking around downtown. Unless it's a tourist. Right, and then you can suss them out pretty quick. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah, they bizarre. don't do umbrellas. No, it's it's so ironic. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know where it started, but nobody has an umbrella out here. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the homeless people, I don't know. Just yeah, wet. I think I found out about that um, from reading Blue Like Jazz, the Donald Miller story. Uh, okay. He was from Texas, a little small town in Texas, and moved to Portland to go to school. And um, the girl, like, he had an umbrella, and he was trying to, like, help the girl out that he liked because it was raining. And she looked at him like, are you stupid? Why are you wearing an umbrella? You know, and so I remember reading that. And then, like, I had met somebody a few years uh, after reading it that was from Portland. And I was like, I said, you guys don't use umbrellas? And they are like, no, no, ever. Yeah, you'd think it'd be, like, one of the hottest things and be available in every store. But you just, for whatever reason, I have no idea why people don't use them here. That is so interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So a um, little fun fact for you guys right there. I'm glad we could help further your education. And it's super important, man. It's super important. If you ever go to Portland, do not take an umbrella, uh, but you will get very wet. So, um, okay. So we started the garage door company and then um, like, it wasn't long ago when you got into doing the garage floors, right? Was that last year? No, we bought, yeah, we bought all the equipment last spring. Um with the intent to really gear it up for the summer and, and start doing some jobs. Um, it's, it hasn't taken hold. And a lot of that is we've, we've been so busy with the garage door stuff that we haven't, we haven't been advertising it really. And we were a little nervous on, you know, we, we've been growing pretty fast and getting too many people and too many things that aren't qualified to do it. So, we're fairly small, so it's, you know, people are wearing a lot of different hats. And I just I just had a gut feeling that we were taking on too much. We kind of, we have all the equipment. We have it on the back burner a little bit. We're doing jobs as they're requested, but we're not 
necessarily advertising for right now. Gotcha. It's nice to have. I mean, but you did invest pretty significantly into that though. We did, you know, we were, we were pretty gung ho on it at first and in the midst of all the chaos, you know, I, what it came down to is I felt like we were growing for the sake of growth, if that makes sense. And not, not paying attention to the fundamentals and really what we needed to is we got, I got in a point where the excitement of growing was overtaking the logic behind it, I guess you could say. Right. And we were adding people on, everybody's excited. It's kind of like a real fast paced environment. But the problem was, uh, as the revenue was growing, <laughs> the bank account was starting to shrink a little bit. Right. And so I had this stinking feeling in my gut that something ain't right. We gotta we gotta get back to the to the basics here and kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. And sorry, I don't know if I'm derailing the conversation here, but we ended up taking or we hired on an outside excuse me, an outside consultant to take a look at our business and all of our our financials. And before you go too much further, how many yeah. guys do you have in the field with you? There's there's six guys in the field right now. Okay. So you're yeah. not small. You said you were really small. I think a lot of people think small. They think like one or two trucks, but six trucks is quite yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So overall there's 10 people in the business. Um yeah, there's six people running out trucks right now. Okay. All right, so you you rolled that out. You hired a consultant. You're learning that you're spread a little thin, and you know your money makers really the garage doors because of the demand. So you do it when you can, but it's not like something you're pushing super hard. Right? We're not pushing super hard, and you know, like I said, we made the investment. We do plan to, you know, go go vertical with with other things. Um, we're just kind of resting it right now. We want to make sure we get all of our other stuff, you know, a hundred percent on point and we're not stretching ourselves too thin and we just create a nightmare. So, um, I shouldn't operate off my gut all the time. It's not scalable, but I just, I felt like I should take a step back, get some input from some professionals, figure out, you know, what's going on with our, financials um and then lay out a plan and that's that's kind of where we're at right now with that business jesse have you taken the disc assessment <laughs> i have i have yes what are you do you remember yeah so i took this it's been years ago and i don't know how much that stuff really changes i know it's, it does change yeah um i'm sure it has a little bit uh i was definitely this is not normal for me. I'm kind of outside of my comfort zone right now. I'm kind of more introverted, um, not real active on social media, that type of thing, you know. You're what but, we're lurker. Right. I'm one of those guys in the background who just kind of listens <laughs> and don't say a whole lot the whole time. Consuming. But uh, yeah, um, I was a DC at that point. I had, I had a high D and a fairly high amount of C and not a whole lot of IRS, so. So that's why you're able to go with your gut because you're a high D. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's kind of weird that 
I'm a fair amount of C too. So you'd think that I would want to have things a certain way before I make these decisions, but I got too much D. <laughs> uh, we're going to cut that part out. Yeah. Say you got too much D. All right. Um, so then you did uh, garage cabinets. And how did that go? We kind of implemented both of those things at the same time. Um, okay. Gotcha. And we, we have done some jobs with that. And like I said, it, it's, it's something that we do intend to implement more of. We just going through a little journey right now with our financials. We want to make sure we're on point with that before we yeah. get too crazy with anything else. So let's talk about this real quick. Cause I think this is a good, this is a good place to like kind of park for a minute and like have yeah. this conversation. Because I may be reading you wrong, but I feel like, I don't know if it's disappointment or guilt a little bit. Do you, do you feel any of those when talking about the floors and the cabinets? Um, I feel, I don't like going back on decisions. That's one thing. I don't, you know, I made this investment. I spent thousands of dollars on all the equipment. Everybody's, you know, we're excited. We spent all this time planning all these things. And then I feel like, in a sense, it was a mistake. And I beat myself up pretty hard on myself that way. And I feel like I did something or I rushed something or made a poor decision. So I guess if if that's guilt, I mean, that's maybe what you're sensing. Okay. So how do you think your team views it? Yeah, that's that's probably part of it is, you know, as a leader or a boss, you don't want to appear to be indecisive. And it's like, oh, here's Jesse. He's got some other wacky idea. Let's see what he does next week. Um, I generally don't, I mean, I, I don't per perceive myself like that so much. And I don't think other people do. So don't, doing something like that or making any big decisions like that half-heartedly isn't something I generally take lightly, but I feel like I kind of let people down in that way. And uh, it, it was, it's a learning experience for sure that we're going through. Do you follow um, Elon Musk at all? A little bit. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. There's no he's doubt. Guy. So, you know, I think, I think what you're going through is like really, really common, dude. Um, so you're comparing me to Elon Musk? Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> kind of, because I think like, you know, Elon has a lot more resources than we do, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, what we got to figure out when we're doing garage floors is garage floors a different business? Is it the same business? Is it different people? Is it the same people? And, you know, I think when you have multiple businesses, you kind of think of like all of them as one or else you get like super like crazy because you have to jump from one box to the next to like make decisions where if you treat it all kind of like one in your head then it's easier and you're like oh i got these people they're not maxed out i could utilize the additional time to do like garage floors and whatever um so i um uh, you know i just want to take a second and like encourage you because the opposite of what you're doing is working for a stale business 
who's not trying new things, who's not willing to risk things, right? Um, and employees get frustrated or comfortable and, um, and I, I view comfort as a negative. So some people view it as a positive, but, um, and then, and then you're in this position where it's like, oh, it's just the same old, same old. And it's like, we just, we're, we're now like manufacturer, um, like, uh, um, assembly line people, right. Uh, we just got to come in and do the same thing every, you know, all day, every day. And that's not really that fun. Right. So if you work for uh, an employer who is willing to try new things, and I wouldn't say you failed at it, it's just on hold, right? Like, I think around the time that you started that, this hardware store kind of came up, right? It wasn't long yeah, after that. wasn't long after. And so you're just prioritizing opportunities. And then when things settle down and you're able to put a little focus, I think you just get right back to it. And so, no, I think you're right. And I, and I think a failure would be if we went hard in the pain on this and then we were stretched too thin and we fell short with our customers, did shitty work and that would be a failure. So I think you're right on that. It's, it was just, yeah, I, I don't like, building momentum on something and then having to pull back it feels like i'm doing something yeah i guess i feel a guilt with it i feel like i'm falling short you know for my for the people that rely on me to make good decisions but yeah no i made the right decision right i mean you you came across a great financial opportunity in the hardware store so you took it you put some things on the back burner where there's probably not as much demand um so your team's familiar with it and they're selling mm. it occasionally, uh, but it's not like a primary focus. And it's really hard for people to have two primary focuses, right? Like you and I can do it, but Tamara can probably tell you like not everybody's wired that way. She did a phenomenal job. I don't know if it was natural for her. It was probably unnatural, but she, she pulled it off. And I'll honestly tell you like, I don't know a lot of people who can work for two or three different companies at one time and yeah. be effective at it. Right. Um, well, so. and, and like Elon Musk, he's not running Starlink and he's not running, you know, Tesla and all these right. companies by himself. He's got good people that he can rely on to make the decisions that need to be made. You know, it's, if I had to deal with hundreds of millions of dollars in funding too, for those. Companies. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And just like me at the garage door business, I couldn't focus this much time on my store, which is pack supply. Um, <clears throat> I got Taylor over there. Who's phenomenal. He's doing a great job over there. And if it weren't for the people that I have, there's no way I could do this. So it certainly isn't all me. That's for sure. Yeah. So what is your hardware store focus on? Like what hardware store is kind of broad? So. Yeah, sure. No, it's definitely uh, a unique business. So the way that it started, uh, there's a, there's a commercial framing outfit, pretty large one. They do wood and steel structures. Got about 200 employees. They started this hardware store because I don't know if I should be saying this. They needed the software for it. 
but they couldn't own it themselves. They have to have a, a lumber yard own it. And so this lumber yard owns the software and they utilize the software. And what the software does is you build a 3D model for a structure, whether it's an apartment complex or a house, a shop, uh, whatever it is, a motel. We do a 3D model of this and we create SKUs for every single board that is in this project. And this SKU then gets printed on each board and this board is cut exact to size. And you essentially put the structure together as an Ikea set. Wow. This lumber pack shows up to a project. It's all, you know, categorized and, and offloaded in the correct spaces where it needs to go within the project. And the idea behind it is that the framers, they pretty rarely will have to pull out a, or a you know, a chop saw or a skill saw. They essentially read the plans. They have a 3D rendering on their iPad or phone or tablet, whatever, and they can scroll around this job site and pinch and zoom in on a specific area of the building, touch that board, and it'll tell you which board it is and how it corresponds with your lumber pack. So it's like a giant apartment complex puzzle that they're putting exactly. together. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. We do we do apartment buildings, motels, uh, do a fair amount of homes too. So Dang, that is so cool. That's the hardware store. So that's how it started. So we're technically, you know, a lumber yard and uh, we're big into Milwaukee tools. So we have a huge uh, amount of Milwaukee tools and um, we specialize, you know, that lumber thing is kind of the heart and soul of the business. Um, we sell hardware, you know, nails, screws, whatever, and Milwaukee tools and Makita tools and things like that. And then we're actually now getting into, <laughs> feel ridiculous bringing all these things up. It just doesn't seem like it's possible to do all these things when I talk about it, but we're, we're, we're building the showroom right now for the doors and windows portion of the business. We're going to start selling man doors and windows out of here too. Consistency in everything, including price, reliability, quality, not just quality, but great quality control. These are things that describe Somer USA. Somer's not some startup company, not one that you need to be worried about going out of business in the near future. Somer's a two, Somer and their family of businesses are $200 million companies. They're in over 100 countries, and they have locations in 20 countries. This is a large organization who stands behind their product and works through integrity. And there's not another company out there willing to drop what they're doing and help you out like Somer. These guys are awesome. Not only have they been loyal to the Torsion Talk podcast, they've been loyal to the technicians and the owners of the companies who install their product. In my opinion, if you're not at least offering Somer as an additional option, you're cheating yourself. Listen, first-time dealers, I've got a special for you. If you buy 10 or more Somers, between now and the end of the season six, while supplies last, 
we will offer you free shipping. You have no more excuses. The prices are great. The product is amazing. Go check out Somer USA and order 10 for free shipping. Why not, bro? Good margins. Uh, anybody who sells tools knows you don't make money on tools. That's for sure. And that's what's taking a huge amount of our footprint in the store. But you have to bring them in somehow. You don't make money on the tools. You'll make some money on the consumables. But ultimately, the business needs a horse to ride. And I think that's probably going to be the framing portion and the doors and windows portion. So, Dude, that's crazy, bro. I mean, you're literally, I mean, I just want you to know, you're literally launching a new business within your business with those. Because that's like, that's like too large. You know, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I launched a window company like five years ago, like two years in. We were going to start doing windows. I uh, went in with it with my buddy Cade, who I did a garage door for. He was a veteran and had just gotten back from war. Super cool guy. Um, I gave him a killer deal on the doors just because I was like, well, you know, thanks for your service. And just a young family. He was like in his like mid-20s or whatever. Um and uh, he was super smart, worked for a construction company, uh, led the, the well, I think he was in his late 20s, um, led the, um, the window division and had installed doors and windows and was like certified in windows. And um, anyway, long story short, he, he actually um, like put in his notice to come launch the window thing for me. And then they were like, Hey, uh, we don't want you to go. We're going to double your salary and keep hmm. promotion." And then he called me. It was like, bro, I am so sorry. <laughs> He's like, yeah, not turn this down. He's like, I'm looking at taking a huge pay cut going with you to start out. He's like, uh, he's like, I wanted to do it, but he's like, I can't, like, my wife's definitely not down for me taking a pay cut to go start this, and now I'm double the amount of money. So, yeah. uh, fast forward, like, uh, five years, he went out on his own and started his own, like, renovation company, and he's crushing it, so. Nice. He was a good one. So. Were you going into it to be a dealer? Were you selling windows? Were you going to install them or what was your? Yeah, it was a little bit different than what you're doing uh, where you're like probably manufacturing the windows or being like a, a dealer to. Uh, yeah, just a dealer. We're not making anything. Yeah. So um, we were just going to be a dealer and installer. So, we like, uh, you know, just like doors, go out, show people options, yeah. measure, install. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one thing I've learned is I thought the garage door industry was behind uh, doors and windows. I mean, it's like archaic trying to try. It's kind of a good old boy system. You know, you're trying to build vendor relationships and everything, and it's extremely difficult. They don't want to they don't want to talk to you. It's, it's hard to even get a lunch with somebody. And then when you do, you feel like you're getting somewhere and then all of a sudden they fall off the map because whatever is going on and they have plenty of business i don't know what the deal is but mm -hmm. it's it's a brutal industry to break into i'm, I'm telling you, yeah it's Probably crazy i mean either 
right? Like I'm building right. a house and uh, the windows we want, we were told are uh, back, like there's 16 to 18 weeks lead time. Yeah, um, totally. That's rough. Yeah. So we are making some headway though. And we've got some vendors lined up. And... Out of the, you're going to do that out of the lumber yard and hardware store? Yeah. Yep. We got a pretty decent size amount of space available here. So. And that's not uncommon to have a, like, if you got a lumber yard, some no, some doors. No, there's, yeah, I'd say almost every significant lumber yard around here has some source of windows and doors and whatnot. Yeah. So, so you got two growing businesses. You've probably, like, do people look at you weird when you tell, like, when people say, hey, Jesse, nice to meet you, what do you do? What do you say? Nice to meet you. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, uh, I usually just say I do garage doors. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't. So, I don't. If it's just guy. a quick passerby, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Divulge my life story, but if people ask and they want to know, then yeah, I'll go into it. Yeah, the extrovert in me used to be like, oh, I do this and this and this and this and this and this, and then I would lose them. And yeah. So, now I got this thing where like people ask me, I say, well, I grow businesses better. <laughs> and that always sparks the question, how do you build businesses better? I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so that's how that kind of goes. But um, so how like you're not going to be able to grow both to be super big because you're only one person. Right. Do you have a plan? uh for like you know a gm or do you have a gm now at the door company i have an operations manager that's the same guy i was talking about with taylor um i essentially think of him as a general manager he's he's awesome he's he's uh i couldn't do half the things yeah yeah exactly yeah super sharp um the long-term strategy, I guess, well, start out with the short-term. We're getting our financials in order, and we want to make sure that we're doing things where we can operate at a 15 for 20, 15 to 20% net. Um, and then when we feel like we got a grasp on that, we're going to start trying to take over more market share. We're going to go more vertical with some of the garage storage solutions, the floor coverings and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, the 10 year pie in the sky plan is once we have a significant uh, part of the Portland market, you know, <clears throat> Seattle's a pretty huge market. So we could start dabbling in that. Okay. And then as far as the pack supply thing goes, or the hardware store, Lumberyard, um, this is all so new like it's so hard for me to even come up with a plan i just the business is when i first took it over it wasn't making any money um and that's probably why i got a significant break on the price of the deal <laughs> it wasn't losing money it, it was basically dead even it was basically doing what it needed to do to survive um first thing we did was got rid of the general manager that was here um was we weren't terribly happy with the results that he was creating so he did we do have another guy that works here that kind of runs the store 
Um, a little bit more limited on his abilities, but still an excellent employee. And I think he'll be working his way up to general manager and he'll be the one that helps grow this business, I guess. Nice. So where do you think you spend the most amount of time right now? Um, I generally spend the first half of my day with the garage door business. And then the second half, you know, over here at PAX, but I did, we ran out of office space at the garage door place. So I built an office uh, at the PAX supply store. And so I'm all set up in here. That's where I'm at now. So I'll conduct business for, for both operations from here. Oh, you're bringing the garage door company into your, your... No, just me personally. I'm working out of here. So a little bit more remote. Gotcha. Very cool, bro. So much going on. I think that uh, like it's all siding. Sounds very familiar. I feel like I'm interviewing myself a little bit. Um, Tamara, does it not feel like? Yeah, like all of his struggles and the things that like Jesse said some stuff and I was like, I've heard that literally out of Ryan's mouth before. <laughs> so um, what's next, bro? So you've got, you got the doors and windows thing. That's become a struggle to try to get on board. Once you get those on board, um, are you going to then turn your focus to like trying to grow the the floor coating and the cabinet thing more or? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so with the garage door stuff, we were kind of hemorrhaging some cash. So, and we couldn't find the bleed. And so that's what, you know, sparked the, uh, the interest of bringing someone in who is a professional that could really dissect, see where our money's going. Um, where was it going? New construction builders. <laughs> is, that, is that a shocker? It'll eat you alive, bro. You know, we looked at the numbers and we were building our budgets and it seemed like it was all fine, but there's so many variables when running a business and uh, that we just weren't taken into consideration. And we were growing too fast, uh, maybe not people-wise, but with revenue. So we were we were adding a lot of revenue to the to the plate, but weren't allocating things appropriately. We weren't doing the things that we needed to do to to grow a business and have it sustainable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. It's, it's been a learning lesson for sure. And it's been super humbling. You know, I've always, not always, but you know, I've, I feel like I've been fairly frugal. I've kind of felt like I had a grip on financials and I think I did good. I think I did okay up to about the 2 million mark. But then after that, it just, it felt like uh, it just got a little chaotic and I didn't, I wasn't able to keep a grip on things and we were feeding this beast and had to keep things moving. I just didn't have my eye on where it needed to be. If that makes sense. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Do you feel after, so as you're starting to get like a better grip on the numbers, is that like a huge deal for you? Is that, are you at that point yet? Cause I know. Yeah. Yeah. When we talked, Casey actually recently uh, got super familiar with his numbers and he talks all the time about how he's just like so empowered with that knowledge um, and he wishes he would have done it sooner. So, man, it's an absolute game changer. And I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people. And 
let me preface this by saying that uh, if if someone asks me a question, I, I can be fairly blunt, but I usually don't offer my opinion unless someone asks. So if mm -hmm. I come across a certain way, forgive me, but when I see people asking like, um, what should I charge for this? It's like, dude, I have no idea what your overhead is. I have no idea what your business is. You're a thousand miles away. I don't know anything about what you got going on. There's no way that anybody could ever tell you what you should charge. And if they do tell you what you should charge, it's completely ill-advised. Yeah, it's completely yeah. arbitrary. There's there's no basis to it. So you have to factor in your overhead, all your costs, what it like what's your actual cost? What's your break-even point to run a job? And if you know that, it's just a math problem. Like if a job takes you five hours and your overhead is this, you, it becomes a math problem. And this is what you need to charge just to break even. If you want to make it 20% net, you add 20% on top of that, essentially. And if you're asking those kinds of questions, you don't have a grip on your numbers. And that, I can assure you, is something that you have to do if you think you're trying to grow a business. If you're trying to grow a business and throwing arbitrary numbers at stuff, you'll run into the exact same problem I ran into where you feel like you're making money, but you're completely spinning out. You got a, you know, 400 horsepower car up on blocks, just the wheels turning, nothing's happening and you have no idea what's going on. And the day you figure out your financials, what you need to charge, what things cost, what the real costs are to things, it is extremely well the first day it might be a little depressing but after that it's extremely liberating and when you can make things into a math problem there's no more guessing there's no more hey boss what should i charge here it's like here's the equation figure it out and if we hit these key points we know we're making money so it's crucial i mean if you're if you're running a smaller business and you're wanting to grow, I mean, that is the number one thing. Figure out your numbers. Figure out what things cost. What does it cost for you to show up to a service call? Our cost is about 230 bucks for us to run to a service call. We have that much in expenses before, you know, so when we're charging $79 for a service call to show up, we're only taking $79 away from how much we're losing, you know, just, until we get above that $230 point. And when your people understand that too, it, but you got to get above it high enough to make a gross profit on exactly. it. Exactly. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. So my advice would be to figure out what your costs are and what you need to charge in order to break even. And then. Oh, you went out there for a second. You're back. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that you got to figure out your numbers, man. You got to figure out what things cost you, what what you have in each job, your customer acquisition costs. You know, what are you paying in advertising, or what's your attribution? You know, you got to figure these things out. What did he just say? My keyword for the year. He did. He did say it. Oh my god! I'm trying. Like I'm trying to get businesses. You would not imagine the struggle that I'm going through. I'm telling our clients such and such. I'm like, listen, 
Let us put attribution tracking on your website so we can tell you how many phone calls we generate, how many form leads we generate. If you do that, then generate an ROI and you can tell us if we're making you money or if we're not. And people are like so resistant to this. Like, and I'm like, dude, you're like, you're about to find out if what you're paying for is worth it. Like, I want to be measured that way because I keep getting people calling me like, I don't think it's working. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, can you see me report? No. Uh, how do you know it's not working? Because when I pick up the phone and I ask how people found us, they'll say the website. They don't say like Google search or whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you ask them how they got to the website? No. I'm like, okay, dude, like back off for a second. Let's just like have an intelligent conversation here because right. this is not an effective and accurate way of tracking your attribution uh, and your campaign sources. So I believe CallRail has this like amazing feature where you can do form tracking, you can do call tracking and, you know, without, without dynamic insertion on your website, when people go to your website, there's no way to tell of like where they called from if they're on desktop. But if you have this on your website, then the number flips and they and it gives you historical data. It gives you current data. It'll tell you what pages they went to, what page they called from, the whole bit. Like it's freaking great. And so yeah. that data and information where you can track like what pages are converting better. Um, uh, how long is it taking before people actually pick up the phone and call when they go to your website? Uh, the forms, like uh, what forms are performing well, how long it takes before people fill out a form, where are all these leads coming from? Are they coming from Yelp? Are they coming from, you know, it's the website. And another thing while I'm on this kick, I might as well just go ahead and say it. Like you got things like service Titan uh, categorizing campaign source as online booking. That's not a campaign source. That's a, that's like phone your phone is not a campaign source. Live chat is not a campaign source. Text message, not, that's a form of communication. So you can't take credit for something you didn't generate or, or create. Um, you were just the vertical that got the customer from uh, the website to the business. So, but has, something had to drive them there. So that's what you want. That's how you want to define your campaign sources. So- Little, little, you got you got me on a little bit of a tear there because that's a that's a hot topic for me. No, I get it, and I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to know that information. How are you going to make decisions if you don't have that information? Are you just going to throw more money at it and then wait to see if there's more money in your bank account? I mean, you have to see what's working. Right. So. Amen. Preach it, brother. <laughs> right. So it's cold. Is it cold up there? It's actually cold this week. We're talking. I woke up in the is in the twenties this morning, which is pretty uncommon here. But usually when it's cold, it's sunny. So it's been sunny the last few days, which is nice. Nice. That's weird. So it's normally it rainy and cloudy unless it's cold, then it's sunny. Yep. No wonder you Portland people are crazy. <laughs> no. I'm not from here originally, man. No. It's, it's, <laughs> Uh, guys, listen, there was so much good information in this podcast. Uh, Jesse being a serial entrepreneur, I think you can tell a little bit about uh, 
sometimes managing multiple companies can be an extreme challenge, not just for you, but your employees and your family. Uh, but it's, it's interesting and exciting and employees love to be part of something that's growing and, uh, trying new things. So if you're a business owner out there and you're trying new things and you feel like a failure or you're disappointing, like just understand that your employees probably appreciate you trying new things and going after things. Uh, it's better to do that than to be stagnant and stale, in my opinion. And so don't be so hard on yourself. Keep trying, doing new things. Um, Jesse here invested a bunch of equipment, but he's still got the equipment, their assets, right? So he could sell them if he wanted to or get back into it in a more realistic time and really push it hard. But I want to thank Jesse for coming on. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, no problem. Good time. Good to see you guys. Yeah, me too. Um, Tamara, you got anything before we close out? Nope. I'm just excited for you to come back to PDU. We'll see you Friday. That's tomorrow. Just been yeah. so busy that he hasn't been able to attend. So uh, we miss him. Up with an evil plan to get him on the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we're glad. Thanks you for the came, money. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you pay him? It's our first paid guest. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, no, you guys be safe. Thank you, Jesse, for coming on. We appreciate your story. I think it's going to hit home for a lot of different people. So uh, lots of things that we can take away from it. And uh, thank you, Tamara, for making this happen. You're welcome. Y'all have a good day. Be safe. All right, guys. Anytime. <laughs>